and welcome to the Paraphylite Society podcast. It's Hannah Squire here as your host today. This ed- episode is dedicated to a brilliant exhibition entitled Dreams and Stories, Modern Paraphylite Visionaries, British Art 1880 to 1930. The exhibition was at Watts Gallery from the 18th of October and finishes the 26th of Feb. And before that, it was at Leamington Spa Art Gallery in 2022. The Modern Paraphylite Visionaries Project and publication have been generously supported by the Paul Mellon Centre for Studies in British Art, Leamington Spa Art Gallery and the University of Warwick. And I'm very glad to be joined by the two curators of the exhibition today. Dr Laura McCulloch is the Head of Collections and Exhibitions at the Watts Gallery Artist Village. Her PhD explored the drawings and prints of Ford Maddox Brown at Birmingham Museums and Art Gallery. And her specialisms are the Paraphylites, Women Artists and Japanism. Dr. Alice Eden is a historian of art and culture, a writer and a research curator. She completed her PhD in the history of art at the University of Warwick, was a fellow in the Institute of Advanced Studies at Warwick and was an early career curator at Tate and Paul Mellon. She also edited an academic publication for the exhibition. Alice is also completing a publication with Routledge at the moment called Spirituality, Feminism, Paraphyletism in Modern British Art and Culture, which I can't wait to read. And Alice's research interests include forgotten British artists, paraphyletism, Victorian and Edwardian British culture, feminism and spirituality in music and the arts across the 20th century. So hello both. Thank you so much both for joining us today. Um, And my first question I wanted to ask is, so what were the origins of this exhibition? What research interests led you to wanting to um, curate it? And how did the ideas really develop? I'll start uh, that one, Laura, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. I um, I worked and I was very lucky to work, well, I started my research at Royal Holloway actually doing a master's degree in Victorian literature and culture. And that sort of led me to the pre-Raphaelites and via them to these later pre-Raphaelites who I found in the last Romantics catalogue, actually, the John Christian sort of mammoth effort um, of 1989. In any case, the PhD written with uh, Michael Hatt at Warwick um, concerned three artists who are actually in the exhibition, Frederick Cayley Robinson, Robert Anning Bell and Thomas Cooper Gotch. And um, this just sort of started me thinking about this sort of revisionist approach to all of these types of artists and how forgotten they have been and overlooked and sort of suffered simplistic uh, interpretation, etc. And um, lots of People, you know, collectors, academics have been interested in this area and supported me along the way, many, many of them. Um, for example, Sarah Victoria Turner at the Paul Mellon Centre, she suggested the idea of an exhibition that's centred on Hayley Robinson. And he is a sort of star of this show, which um, then evolved into quite an ambitious sense of revisionism to the whole area of uh, pre-Raphaelite revival artists. Oh, thank you for that. And you've mentioned a few of the artists there, but could you give us a taste of the artists and artworks that feature in the exhibition, the different styles and mediums? Yeah, yeah um, thank you for that. Um, so I was thinking about this and I suppose really we're looking at two, they're, they're very eclectic. I would say that at the, at the start. Uh, and that's what's so interesting about them. Um, you sort of have, if you know um, the pre-Raphaelites generally, which obviously society and your viewers will do, you have an idea of what sort of pre-Raphaelite style might be. And it's, and it's there's several elements to that. There's the sort of melee and the super 
um, realistic sort of approach of the early truth to nature artworks and the medieval colours and the small artworks. And there's a sort of Rossettian and Burne Jones uh, side as well of the second wave uh, symbolist type pre-Raphaelitism. And in this exhibition, um, we're able, I mean, there's rich, rich range of works and they sort of combine an area of pre-Raphaelite inheritance, I would say, certainly as you walk in the, the upper room, um, you're looking at works where there's this sense of bright, vivid colours, richness, historicism, decorative detail, uh, you know, the, the sort of rapport with the arts and crafts. And um, but as well, as you walk into the lower body of the exhibition, you're sort of overwhelmed by this sense of British symbolism, which is a key theme in that it's a very undervalued area of British art. And these artworks, you know, by Simeon Solomon and uh, Frederick Cady Robinson and others down there, Evelyn Vickering de Morgan, they uh, have much more of a focus on mood, vagueness, psychology, the spiritual. And they sort of, um, you know, the surface and the subjects are really a, a channel or a sign for ideas and psychological presence underneath or beyond. And, and this is a really great theme of the show too. Um, well, which we'll touch on again, but. Um... Yeah, shall I, um, shall I leap in a little bit and explain yeah. uh, how I sort of got involved? Because when I first met Alice, I wasn't actually at the Watts, I was at Royal Holloway, I was the curator there, and so Alice came to do some research on Christiana Herringham, and mm. I think this must have been, how many years ago, Alice, do you think this was? What, when I first, was it yeah. 2019, or was it even earlier? But I think it was earlier than that, so yeah, funny I enough, I kind, of, I kind of got on board with this quite a while yeah. ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And one of the nice things about this exhibition is just how many women are involved. So I was really delighted to find out that it was following me to the Watts Gallery. Um, <laughs> and so some of the women artists that are involved are Christiana Herringham, Margaret Gear, uh, Marianne Stokes, uh, Elizabeth Fortescue Brickdale. Um, and at the Watts Gallery, we've also included Mary Watts. Um, and for us, in many ways, this exhibition gives Mary the chance to be put in context with her peers. Um, and so we've got various media in the exhibition. There's oil paint, drawings, watercolour. Um, we've got clay in Mary's pot, uh, but we've also got clay in tiles. Um, there's a, a brass platter. So there's a, a real range. It's, it's a smallish exhibition in our space. Um, because we, our spaces are smaller, they're not sort of big like the Tate, but with that you get a really wonderful intimacy with the objects. Um, but we've got a huge range and over half the artists, well, maybe not over actually, half the artists exactly are female artists, which is, is really unusual. Yeah, that's really, really brilliant to hear. Um, and you've briefly there both touched on some of the themes in the exhibition, but I wonder if you could tell us in a bit more detail how, how you kind of themed the spaces. Yeah, shall I start, Alice? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, because this exhibition has had two incarnations, uh, so at Leamington it was called Modern Pre-Raphaelite Visionaries, British Art, 1880 to 1930, and we're dreams and stories. Um, and we had two very different spaces. So Leamington was a very big rectangle, and we've got 
this lovely top room, which is um, just almost like a little jewel box. And then downstairs, we have a smaller rectangle. So that meant that we had to think differently about the themes. So largely the themes are very much the same, but we added a theme in and took one away um, at the Watts Gallery. So as you come into the space, um, you have an introduction to the, the ideas of the modern pre-Raphaelites, and then also an introduction to the first two waves of pre-Raphaelitism um, to kind of give a grounding as to where the third wave was jumping off from. Um, and then as you um, turn the corner, there's a balcony with a timeline because we really wanted um, visitors to just realize how much was changing both with technology, but also politically in the period kind of 1870 to 1930. I mean, there's so many different technological advances going on. So you get the motor car, the aeroplane, uh, the first recordings of sound, the first moving photographs, um, x-rays, just all these amazing things that these artists were responding to. And then as you head down the stairs, the first big theme that you see downstairs is spiritualism and symbolism. Um, and then the face of a woman, uh, which explores female activism and representation and female artists. And then lastly, we added in dreams and um, psychology, which was always kind of present in the, the Leamington exhibition, but we actually felt um, with the things that we had in our version um, was one of the strongest themes and also touched on the idea of modernity and, and psychology being this really modern mm -hmm. discipline that um, was being explored both kind of at university level but also in the arts and literature. Yeah and Alice could you talk a bit mm. to then the Leamington Spa um, gallery space so we just heard really wonderfully from Laura about um, the Watts Gallery but how it was sort of themed differently at Leamington. In Leamington, the, the main areas of themes were similar, although we, add, like as Laura said, we added mm. the unconscious and the dreams. So we were able to sort of veer into a bit different angle at the Watts. And um, at Leamington, we were able to sort of, in a slightly larger space, we were able to really um, explore the idea of revivalism. So we were able to include some uh, decorative art objects and um, and a very large work by Arthur Hacker, The Annunciation, which so, so it was framed quite differently because that work was so large. It was from the Tate and that was on the spiritual um, theme. So it did cast a different look to that space. Whilst they both explore, definitely explore the same themes and narratives, it's just a different visual approach. Yeah, I think, I think that was quite nice, actually, that with you know, the same material. Um, we had slightly different loans uh, for some of it, yeah. but most of the loans were the yeah. same, that you yeah. could uh, just look at a slightly different facet, um, mm -hmm. which is where the, the dreams and the psychology came out of. Um, and it had its own feel in each of the spaces. And I, I think that's often really important with a touring exhibition. Um, mm -hmm. And for us, it was really important that the Watts to include pieces by George Frederick Watts, who kind of ran parallel to all three ways of the pre-Raphaelites and was influencing or influenced by those, but he doesn't really join the group in that way. Um, okay. And also to give Mary Watts her context because these really were her peers. Um, and I always kind of joke 
that if I could have included the watch chapel and the limnessly ceiling <laughs> panels um, in the exhibition, I would have done, but they're, they're too big. But it's great for us because we can say to visitors, this exhibition is bursting out of the room, like go and see the chapel, go and see Limnus Lease. And even if you know those places really well, this hopefully this exhibition will give you a different insight into those. Mm. Yeah, and I, I would also just add that the, the upper and lower space does add an, in, and the timeline, but the upper and lower space does add an interesting journey to viewing the works. And that upper space, Laura, you know, when you go in and you've got the close of day and you've got harmony, those sort of real medieval transformative, uh, that sort of transformative work there in that smaller space does become a bit sanctified and iconic in sort of close quarters like that. So, as you say, different ways of viewings. Yeah, no, I really agree with that. I think that top space is, is really intimate. Um, and I, I feel like you get a real, very strong, concentrated yeah. dose of, of pre raphaelitism in that space, <laughs> uh, which is really great, though. Um, and it, it's, it's an interesting space because the walls, are, it's not just four square walls. They create their own little mini galleries within that space. Mm. Um, and so as a curator, it's really great to play with that um, and see... Um, how you can work with those pieces so that people get different experiences. Yeah, definitely. And so um, kind of going back to the Paraphylite uh, Brotherhood and the movement itself, what was it about the Paraphylites that resonated with these 20th century artists? So what kind of ideas and stylistic fragments were they drawing particular inspiration from and which sort of Paraphylite artists would you say mostly? So I think the sort of there's various areas of the original work of the PRB who formed in 1848 mm. that inspired uh, this host of um, third, what are known as third wave followers or revivalists around the turn of the century or the late 19th century in Britain. And I think the um, inspiration from the PRB is manifold. Um, some of it is, is a visual form and you're looking at things like colour. I mean, when you go downstairs at the Watts and you see that that vast canvas Alleluia by Thomas Cooper Gotchin is emblazoned in gold and it's a sort of choir of children. And straight away there, you've got richness of colour, brightness of colour. You've got a sense of, you know, revival of the early medieval art. But very crucially as well, you've got the sense of emotion, of uh, sentimentality perhaps, of um, sanctified subjects, meaningful subjects. And I think that certainly comes uh, from the PRB as well. So it's this idea of visual forms and styles and a sense of meaning, um, conscientiousness and um, aspiration um, that allied with these, you know, when the PRB were a sort of uh, revolutionary uh, re rebellious movement at their inception, and uh, they wanted to shake up both the visual forms of art, you know, um, from sort of Joshua Reynolds and the Royal Academy, but they also had a very idealistic approach. I think that certainly comes through with the later artists. Just to add to that, though, what's fascinating is that with the later artists, you, you have professional artists quite late in their career, like Robert Annie Bell, Thomas Cooper Gotch, many of them, Pickering, uh, Evelyn Pickering Morgan as well. Um, so by the time they're creating some of these works, they're very well versed in reframing forms from pre-Raphaelitism, and they're very intellectually interested in um, the modern, modern world around them. And you know, knowledge, art history, a really academic knowledge and uh, practice of their of their art, 
And I think that really comes across too in the quality and the mastery that we see in the artworks. And just a couple of examples of that would be, say, uh, Robert Anning Bell's The Listeners, which is upstairs as well in the small room as you come in. And in that work, you know, you have um, what could be a traditional picture of women outside, a sort of more Victorian um, subject, but you have a, a, a real sense of strangeness, a deliberate evocation of strangeness, a clearing of space and a sort of conjuring of a pre-modern world with an almost uncanny sign in the sense of there's no modern technology or industrial landscape. And um, that's what I found, like, you know, when I was researching the PhD and my, and my ongoing research is the intellectualism of them, of these artists and their real um, devotion to their craft in um, both their understanding and re-practice of older forms of art. Kayleigh Robinson said that um, he used the Pre-Raphaelites and he made his own recreations and he also leaned on them before he found his own way. So there's a sense throughout the whole exhibition of a, a very intellectual sense of appropriation and recreation and reimagining and I think just that sense of practice is also just terribly modern. I love your use, very right use of the word um, revolutionary in the nature of these artists both with the PRB initially and then the second and the third wave and talking about that kind of revolutionary nature of their art I wanted to ask how is this art different to the sort of modernist revolutionary movement and how these both kind of um, movements and artists working at the same time period in the 20th century, how they differ in their approach? Oh, well, I was going to say that I think um, for a lot of people that possibly looking back at the in the 1940s and looking back to the third wave of the pre-Raphaelites and looking at what they deem the modernists, I think a lot of them probably saw a group who were still connected to the Victorians, still yes. connected to the previous styles and hadn't very deliberately broken away from those. Mm. Um, and so for them, it was quite kind of clear, okay, well, they're not modern because they're still um, finding that connection important in their work. But actually, I feel like they, they very much are modern because they're picking up on modern technology, they're responding to that. And they're picking up on very modern ideas like um, the subconscious. But the way that they're choosing to do it is to, I suppose, continue um, a narrative, but to tweak it very slightly. And I think that's where someone like Frederick Cady Robinson is so clever because he takes the familiar and he just twists it. And in a way, his work couldn't be his work if there wasn't that familiar style to kind of lure people in but then he turned things on its head. Um, and it, actually, I, I strongly suspect, although I think Alice and I would love to go and do some more research on this, but we suspect that the Surrealists were very aware of his work. Um, and they're not actually that different from him um, in that they're often similar stylistically um, and sort of that, that you're, they're inviting you in to try and create a narrative from a picture, but it's, every time you try and do it, it kind of slips away from you. And that's exactly what Frederick Cady Robinson was doing. Um, so I, I think it's kind of people looking backwards that have separated these artists from the, the modernness and modernity. And that's what the exhibition is about. It's about having a look at, again, at these and thinking actually 
are they really not that modern and are they really that different from some of the the isms that were around it's all about the sort of reimagining of older ideas and visual formats but you know engaging with new modernity that was that was all around them and it would have been almost impossible not to engage with the level of change that was undertaken at that time which involved not only technology but you know less more intangible things such as the understanding of the mind and dreams and it's rather than a sort of disavowal of the past or a sense of rupture there's that sense of the past and the present that sort of janus faced you know two-sided sense of moving into modernity thank you yeah before the exhibition i hadn't really made those connections with between surrealism and this sort of third wave and paraphyletism so it's a really really thought-provoking conversation thank you and um, the final question i have is you've touched on the fact that hearts the exhibition it contains work by female artists which is fabulous and one of the sections of the exhibition is dedicated to female artists activism and representation so my question is how do these female artists kind of approach th this era was very ripe for the change in um equality and that fight for equality that women were engaged in and how do these artists represent and approach the idea of their gender and of representing their sex. Do you want um, to start with that, Alice? Yeah, I'll, thanks, Laura. I'll, I'll start. Um, well, I want to start by saying that the representations by female artists are a crucial part of the history of this sort of modern pre-Raphaelitism. And yes, this, yes. this has really been emphasised in the exhibition. And I think that's an important statement just alone. Um, mm. They they were very much part of this type of artistic negotiation of visual languages, you know, this sort of um, reappropriation and innovation of modern paraphyletism. There's many, many examples of these artists and there are many uh, examples of arts and crafts practitioners too. Um, and I think an important point as well is the fact that they, these female artists such as Eleanor Fortescue-Brickdale and uh, Evelyn Vickering de Morgan and um, Marion Stokes, Mary Watts, and many more, they were able to combine this visionary pre-Raphaelite medievalist style of painting and a sort of devotional form of womanhood often as well. But they happily combined that with their, active, uh, their lives, with activism as well. And there's many links with the suffrage movement, um, also through artists such as Annie Swinnerton, who was a friend of, as Laura knows from her research, friend with Christiana Herringham, um, and um, other artists like Mary Sargent Florence. And these artists were connected through the Society for Painters in Tempera. Um, Herringham copied the old masters. So it's this sense of um, somewhat traditionalist techniques or certainly pre-Raphaelite, what we'd call the pre-Raphaelite, but combining that with the suffrage movement and all of the feminist cultures alongside that. And some of those connections, you know, they are being explored now. But I think that's something we've highlighted, just the level of, of interrelationship there. And um, another aspect would also be the spiritual, which obviously links with the book that I'm writing, the sense of um, spirituality being a very ubiquitous theme in many of these artworks, and certainly in artworks by women. Um, Evelyn Pickering Morgan, for example, features dungeons and interiors, the idea of shackling, you know, an imprisonment. She also features women outdoors in sort of exuberant or epic ways. So 
I believe there's, you know, a range of sort of feminist iconography that you can find permeates this whole sort of area. And it's a fascinating vein of thought, uh, you know, of, of um, discovery, actually. And we, we've broached some of that in, in the show. Yeah, I think for me, what has been really exciting is the networks. So the art and the suffrage or whether it's the... Um, purity movement they they go quite hand in hand and so this particular group of women many of whom were able for the first time to access proper art education more akin to what their male counterparts had been receiving when they they had that art education they were also making um sort of networks and those could be political networks as well so it's that interrelationship between the art and the politics and the activism um, that I find really fascinating. And for us at the Watts Gallery, being able to, to put Mary into that network has been really exciting and to really stress um, how she was involved in that. And particularly in the area where the Watts is in Surrey, um, there was a, a huge arts and craft movement with patrons and artists in the area but those artists and patrons were often also involved in the suffrage movement. For instance, Mary Watts um, was the president of the Godalming Suffrage Society and Christiana's sister, Theodora, was the secretary. So there's some wonderful links um, to be explored there. Mm, definitely. And we do have a, a, a separate episode as well of the podcast talking specifically about Annie Swinnerton. So, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Is there any questions that I haven't answered or any themes you wanted uh, both Alice and Laura to talk about that I haven't mentioned yet? Well, I, we may have covered it a bit, but can I, I, I would like to just sort of raise the flag for Kayleigh Robinson just that bit more, yes. um, in the sense that I would like to highlight the close of day in the upper room as a really, um, as a work which really encapsulates um, the themes Laura was mentioning too, and the themes of surrealism and modernity. I think this painting, you know, it highlights the visual and technical mastery of these artists. You know, the um, we were talking about um, the pre-Raphaelite origins of surrealism, something like Millet's hyper-realism, his rendering of objects, for example, the white tablecloth in Lorenzo and Isabella, the work in Liverpool. Um, this white tablecloth recurs in the Kayleigh Robinson and it is, you know, it's animated, it's made hyper real, and it connects with this symbolist idea of the soul of things. And then this connects much with the later surrealist movement, where, you know, objects like telephones, and uh, like Dali, the telephone and the sewing machine become, you know, highly charged objects with meanings and meanings beyond. Um, Freud's interpretation of dreams is obviously pertinent to the exhibition and to this period. And he described, you know, the um, rendering of objects in dreams, our imagination, a process of the dream work of the compression and distortion of images as a type of hieroglyphics. And I just think that thought, the idea of the objects as hieroglyphics is very pertinent to Katie Robinson and to this, like his, his modernity, um, his, and as Laura was saying, the sort of key theme of the exhibition of the idea of the appeal of combining pre-Raphaelitism, a sort of prettiness, you know, um, a seemingly very normal, casual subjects of women in the interior, but yet very insidiously, uh, the thoughts and anxieties of the, of the of modernity, of the modern psychology, and uh, a sense of loss 
moving into the modern world, I think all of these artworks, there's a tension of the past and the changing present that make them really distinct of their time. Yeah, Wonderful. I think, oh, I was just going to say, I think I'd also um, just quite like to highlight um, that we, we have what's included in there. And as I said, he sort of runs parallel to the pre-Raphaelites, but um, there's a work like the portrait of Violet Lindsay, which um, has a woman who's clearly focusing on something that's in her mind's eye and she's not really connecting to us. And in the background, there's this wonderful blue landscape and you can't quite work out, is it sea, is it mountains, but it's clearly connected to what she's thinking about. Um, and that was a really influential piece. It was produced in the 1870s um, and then was exhibited in Europe and was really influential on the symbolists. Um, but there, and also on artists like Frederick Cady Robinson. Um, and so actually being able to include him in this group has been really amazing because one of the things we, we try and do with exhibitions um, is find ways to connect them to Watts and show his influence or how he's been inspired. Um, and so this was a really great exhibition to allow us to do that. Um, and then it kind of feeds into our work on Watts in general. And so it helps us sort of relook at him in, in different ways. Brilliant. Thank you both. For those of you who haven't um, had chance or won't have chance to go to the exhibition, I'd also really recommend the publication of the, uh, the um, essays that accompany the exhibition, which is really fascinating too. Um, thank you both, Dr. Alice Eden and Dr. Laura McCulloch, for your time today. Um, oh, just briefly to say as well, is there any, I know, Alice, you talked about um, your work in your book at the moment. Is there any mm. future projects you wanted to tell us about for the podcast that we can look forward to both of you in the future coming up? Uh, for me, I am really exploring the Women's Guild of Art, which uh, several of the people who are in the exhibition were members of. Uh, so Christiana Herringham um, and Mary Watts were members, and Marianne Stokes. And so I'm looking a little bit more about um, into that network, which was not just painters, but also uh, lots of craftswomen too, and was um, set up when um, the all-male Guild of Arts uh, wouldn't allow them in. They set up their own um, guild uh, in response um, and it was Mae Morris and one of Christiana's sisters that set it up so I'm, I'm having a look at that so I'm going to stay uh, with these women for quite a while I think um, and so it's really lovely to, to this is almost like the starting point for that um, and to see some of their works in person um, in the spaces has been brilliant. Obviously I'm working on the current book which will be out mm. fairly, uh, fairly soon or this year um, but I'm also working on a more detailed uh, full volume, on a graphic volume on Kaylee Robinson, um, obviously building on an awful lot of, you know, as Laura was saying, years of, of uh, research on this and mm -hmm. um, many, many collectors and other academics, who, you know, who fed into this and have an interest as well. So, so we can really explore um, the themes, particularly sort of surrealism, et cetera, but also his... Um, pre-Raphaelite revivalism. I'm hoping to work on a volume um, which would include um, imagery of sort of fantastical women and, and less known imagery of women of this period. No, it's wonderful to hear both of you about all the work you're doing on, on women artists. It's a real passion of mine as well. So I, I look forward to all of the products of your work. So thank you both. Oh, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us. Thanks, Hannah. It's great. And Laura. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.